It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy. This week we look at New Zealand cricket's roller coaster summer. The breakers start the playoffs as they charge towards a third ANBL basketball title and the All-Whites secure their place in the next stage of World Cup qualifying. It was all doom and gloom for the Black Caps earlier this summer after the Ross Taylor captaincy saga and the disastrous tour of South Africa. But the stocks have risen somewhat following the drawn test series against England. Joining us to look back at the season is Radio New Zealand's cricket reporter Stephen Hewson. Stephen, what impact did the dumping of Ross Taylor have on the side? Well, I think it's something that's continuing to fester away in the Black Caps environment. I mean, uh, Ross Taylor said at the time when he first went public after his sacking that it was going to be a work in progress for him to rebuild his relationship with coach Mike Hesson. And he's made the odd comment in the last day or so that... uh, Things still aren't smooth. An odd time to, to, to make those comments, I suppose, given the, the uh, way the series against England went and the fact that it did go very well for the Black Caps. But it is obviously something that's still there and going to take quite some time to to to, to repair. Um, I suppose if you look at it in the context of the England series, you can't you might say that it's not had, had much of an impact because uh, England went into that series, obviously ranked second in the world and would have been expected to overwhelm the, the Black Caps, who are down at eighth. But uh, a drawn series, the Black Caps dominated two of the three tests. That's a, that's a good outcome for them. It obviously did have a part to play with the tour of South Africa, especially the test series that are thumped in both tests. We look back at that, it seems a long time ago, but can we put that series into some sort of context now as the, the, the Southern Hemisphere's summer is coming to an end? It was a poor performance from the Black Caps, and I don't think there's any getting away from that. It was an extremely good performance, too, from South Africa. I suppose we should remember that Australia and Pakistan have also been dismissed for below 50 in innings against South Africa in the past 12 months or so. Uh, so but, yeah, a, a poor performance, and one that's, I, I suppose, always going to haunt the, the side for some time to come. The uh, one-day series, they went on and won that, which on the back of the way that test series went in South Africa was is quite a surprise. So it's been a completely, it's been a real yo-yo summer for, for the Black Caps. The, the test now is how they go in England. Do we go back to, you know, on, on that sort of yo-yo theory, they'll be back performing poorly against England when they go over and play there. But, you know, that's it's its case of let's wait and, wait and see. And... If it is the start of a renaissance in the team under Brenda McCullum, we'll, we'll find out when, when they hit, uh, hit England. So that Test Series against England, New Zealand still ranked eighth in the world, but, you know, you know were you uh, surprised? I mean, what did you take from that Test Series against England that they almost won? I think the, the conditions certainly suited uh, the, the home side in the sense that they were reasonably docile batting tracks and the New Zealand team was, in a sense, out to prove a point, I, I suppose. I, I think our bowlers have always performed at about fourth or fifth, ranking-wise. It's the batting that's always let us down. Um, England possibly turned up here 
thinking that it was going to be a relatively straightforward series for them. Remember, they'd just come off a series win in India, which was a, a, a mighty achievement given the way the Australians have gone down 4-0 to India over, over there. So perhaps there was some complacency in that England lineup. Um, and the batsmen, I suppose we look at individuals like Peter Fulton, who's made a marvellous comeback, two, two centuries and one test after being out of the, the side for some time. Uh, but yeah, so we've got... We've, Certainly, got to say that the Black Caps, are well, well done. That was was a good performance. Um, they made the most of the conditions. They battled away. The bowlers kept battling away when batter friendly conditions. Um, they've done what they can, and while it hasn't got them out of eighth spot, they've moved up a little bit, closing on the West Indies in seventh spot. Um, the drawn series too means England held off dropping to to third. Uh, you mentioned Peter Fulton there. Just looking at a couple of individuals, he's mature now. Perhaps is that what sort of got him through the summer? I think so. He, he possibly you know or will know his game a whole lot better. Know what he can do. Know what he can't do. And maybe that's what's you know certainly helped him out getting that first Test century. The second innings, no doubt, relaxed, knowing he'd sort of secured his place at least for the England tour. Um, there's now a bit of competition too for, for places there. I mean, remember Martin Gupta wasn't there. He so Fulton came in to replace him as opener. The question now is where does Martin Gupta slip back into that batting lineup? Dean Brownlee at number five. I think there's possibly looking over his shoulder a little bit, but, but at least there's competition there. We've got competition too for the bowling spots because Doug Bracewell wasn't there for this series, and uh, Tim Southey, Trent Bolt, and uh, Neil Wagner all performed outstandingly well and, and uh, you would think go into the first test against England um, as the incumbents you can't, couldn't see them being replaced uh, we've got Bruce Martin too came in to fill in for Dan Vittori it seems Van, Dan Vittori is not going to be available for the test series in England maybe play the one days as he still recovers from injury uh, So Brendan McCullum what, what did you think of him now that he's captain and uh, his batting this summer? Well, he's, he's gone down to bat at six, and, and I think that suits where, where he should be batting. It's a good place for him in the order, given the, the, the way he plays. He'll never die wondering when it comes to be, being a skipper. He's always prepared to try things, take a bit of a gamble. And, and the players, there seems to be a sense that they respond to his personality. He's a bit more of an extrovert, perhaps, than, than Ross Taylor. Uh, so they respond to that. He's got ideas. He's, he's happy to try things and give things a crack. Um, so, you know, that's possibly that positivity too has a, a, a spin-off on the team. The Black Caps go uh, to England in May for a tour there, a couple of tests, one day is T20 matches. Uh, now you mentioned local conditions. We're going to England's conditions. Uh, indeed, and that's going to, to, I suppose, suit them and the English tour presumably going to want to, to prove a point given the way this, this series here went. And again, I think our bowlers will perform well. I think the conditions there will suit them comes back to the batting, whether the batsman can cope with maybe the ball moving around a wee bit more. Uh, that That's going to be the real test to see how far the sides come over over the summer and to get away from this sort of uh, roller coaster ride that seems to continually beset New Zealand cricket. I was just going to mention that you did an insight on uh, the state of New Zealand cricket. Does this sort of uh, relatively good performance against England, does that change anything? Well, it changes things to the sense that it's it's great to see them competitive and what we want to see out of our, our our side. Does it change anything off the field? No, I don't think so, in the sense that we still haven't really had a satisfactory explanation over what went on with the whole Ross Taylor saga. Um, that was all about process, not about who was the right person for the job. 
Um, they've got issues off the field cricket. Whether they address that, I, I, I'm not quite sure that there is being enough done to address when it comes to numbers and people playing the, the sport. But on the field, things certainly look to be improving. Um, again, only it's one of those things, unfortunately, that only time in a tour to England will reveal. Stephen Hewson, Radio New Zealand's cricket reporter, many thanks. You're listening to Extra Time, the web-only sports show on Radio New Zealand. The New Zealand Breakers are after a three-peat in the Australian National Basketball League. They finish the regular season as the top seeds and meet the Sydney Kings in their semi-final series. The Breakers have lost their opening match of the playoffs the last two years. Well, they've had a few issues with the Kings this season, losing to them once, while two of their victories were by less than four points. However, coach Andre Lamano says his side is used to playoff basketball and they just have to get back into that mode again. He says playing Sydney doesn't throw up anything new. Oh, look, we come out and play everybody the same way. It's uh, about having the right mindset and we'll come out and play hard regardless of who we're playing. It's playoff basketball. It's going to be intense. Forward Mika Vakona has had a breakout season for the Breakers. He says the regular season is well behind them now and the players are well into playoff mode. I mean, obviously everything steps up a gear. Uh, everybody's a little bit more focused, a little bit more competitive trainings. Um, it's another challenge. We set ourselves challenges all through the season. And uh, this one was like, look, we haven't won a game one in the last two years, so let's focus on this and you know, come out and try and do it. Mika Vakona. Good luck to the Breakers. In the other semi-final series, Perth play Wollongong. One of the teams talked about as Super Rugby contenders before the season started, the Highlanders are struggling after four straight losses. They played well in most of their matches, especially last weekend's 19-7 loss to the Chiefs. This weekend they take on the Queensland Reds, who are missing a number of top players. However, with Will Guinea and Quade Cooper running the ship at 9-10, and 10, Highlanders coach Jamie Joseph says they're still an impressive-looking side. I mean, they're a good team, aren't they? They've won four out of six. Those two blokes and the fact that they're returning with their captain and another Wallaby lock has, um, gives a good balance to the side. Um, some real expected there with the nine and the ten. They've won a Super Rugby Championship in, you know, recently, two years ago. They had a bad run in injuries themselves. Um, but again, yeah, look, they've got a, you know, a well-balanced team, I think. Looking at, uh, you say, four, uh, four and six there, that Highlanders is obviously 0 and 4. Um, how's morale on the team after that? Yeah, no, morale's pretty good, guys. I mean, as expected, I guess. And, you know, you, you don't uh, quite get um, the result that you're after, but in terms of team morale, pretty good. Has been every every week. Uh, this week, this this day in our, in our working week is, is always pretty positive because the game's getting nearer. Frustration's not building up that you haven't been able to turn it into the victories? Uh, yeah, I'm frustrated a little bit with, with the fact that we haven't been able to you know, turn all of that pressure and all of that. Uh, I mean, last week particularly, we played uh, you know, very well for most of, the, most of the game. There was a lot of decisions that didn't go our way. There was a lot of things that we could have done better, but I mean, the, the guts of it really is we never got the result, and that's what we'll be working on this weekend. The temptation to change the game style, to totally pull it apart, or just carry on with the, the style of gameplay that you've been, been working for? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a reasonable question. We're the best line-breaking team in the competition. I'm not sure we want to change that, guys. Yeah, and you spent, the most, you spent more time in every game in opposition 22 as well than your opponent every every week for the last four weeks. I mean, it's just an execution thing, isn't it, then? If you read, look at the numbers, you could analyse it that way? Yeah, you analyse it lots of different ways. I mean, the first thing you, you realise is 15 guys trying to stop you. and We don't have a we don't have problem getting into that zone or breaking the line, which is generally the hardest thing to do. Um, yeah. You know, hard to, it's, it's a it's a situation that's different every weekend. Um, 
two or three opportunities against the Hurricanes were very different to the opportunities that we got against the Chiefs. And so, in terms of what we have to do, um, we just be more clinical, um, and sometimes more patient, and sometimes speed it up. So, those are all the things that the, that the guys and the coaches are talking about, and that's what we're working on the weekend. Do you think the team's overthinking things? No, I don't. No, I think uh, it's a pretty cerebral game at the moment. There's a lot of teams that are very tight. Um, let's keep in mind that we played the Chiefs, who I think won the competition last year, and you know that game could have gone either way. So, pretty smart coaches there too. So we have to pay that respect. How desperate are you to win the game this week? Uh, well, no more than last week, really. I mean, it'd be nice to win a match. We're, we're playing, you know, as I say, generally most of the football in the games, all bar the Cheetahs match. Um, you know, I think teams that are desperate to win matches generally go well. So do you think then that a win would just turn that corner and you'd start to see the momentum probably swing back in, back in your favour? It seems to be swinging the other way at the moment. I think a win will do lots of things for the team. Well, first of all, give the, the players the reward that they deserve, given all the efforts. Um, the, as I've said a couple of times, the team's got you know, great integrity, we've got leadership. Um, so no one's looking outside of game plans or you know what are we doing right or wrong. We're just talking about the little things. We get the little things right, then the big things tend to take care of themselves. And so, when you hear those sorts of words from your senior players, it's pretty comforting. Yes, there's been um, there's been a lot of talk about the big name signings. Um, have you, do you think they've stepped up enough? Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, it depends on how you're measuring their performances. I think last week we had ten out. So you know, to put a bit of context to the question is you start with 35 players and you end up with 25 and half of those are some of the names that you mentioned. Um, and I guess what that does to those guys, it puts them behind in their fitness and their training um, and so they have to build again. And um, that's one area that we've had a bit of bad luck in the injury area. Um, so it's nice when you hear the likes of um, Corey and Woody and you know, starting to put their hand up again. It's comforting for the team. Has there been too much expectation put on them, do you think? Oh, well, that's uncontrollable, isn't it? That's what you guys do. Um, we just get on with business. and I think the thing what I realised with being a top rugby player is they've got to get used to that. And uh, if they walk towards that, the good ones are really good. The Highlanders coach, Jamie Joseph. This is Extra Time, Radio New Zealand's web-only sports show. The All-Whites coach Ricky Herbert thoughts are already turning to November's Football World Cup qualifier and just who aside will have to overcome to reach the tournament in Brazil next year. Having finished top of the Oceania qualifying process, the All-Whites will now play the fourth-place team from CONCACAF, which includes North and Central America and the Caribbean. The six teams in that group are Panama, Costa Rica, USA, Honduras, Mexico and Jamaica. The All-Whites were unbeaten in their Oceania qualifying group, finishing up with a 2-0 win over the Solomon Islands in Honiara earlier this week, having beaten New Caledonia in Dunedin the week before. Stephen Hewson asked Ricky Herbert about his thoughts on the Brazil campaign so far. We completely changed the team. None of the starting lineup from Friday started. Um, not a lot of them travelled, actually. So, um, new team. Uh, they didn't train at all. We didn't have time for that. But I thought they went out and did a very, very professional job and and um, you know, finished the campaign on a high, which we, we all felt was important for us. Andrew Durante got his first run. Pleased, pleased with that. You were a, a good defensive effort. Yeah, very pleased. You know, very calm, sort of, again, professional um, performance and one that you kind of expect um, from him. So, um, no, pleased, and I'm, I think he'll be pleased to have that first one done as well. It's obviously given you a bit of a bit of a look for for backup players or for 
those coming through. What particularly pleased you? Oh, I thought, um, you know, Ben Sigmini kept him aside. I thought him and Andrew were excellent in the back and kind of control things for us. Um, Aaron Clapham did well coming in. Um, Tim Payne took his two goals well. So, I mean, that bodes well for Tim. I mean, he's been in and around the squad and he's played in some of the games. But, um, yeah, we play him a little bit further forward. And, you know, he, he did have the ability, you know, technically to take his chances, which was encouraging. Um, you know, Dan Keat had his first run. Um, I thought he got better as the game sort of went on. So, you know, in light of, you know, 31 degrees, it's tough up here, as everyone knows. Um, I thought generally everybody played very, very well. I think there's probably just one or two players that um, played a little better, that was all. The fact that you got to that last game not having to win it, was that sort of at the back of your mind all along, a chance to get a development opportunity in? Yeah, I think so, Stephen. I think, you know, for me now, the, the most important thing was that game. Um, but we wanted to bring aside, yep, it, it, it was more around development and, and youth, apart from Ben and um, Andrew, the side was very, very young. But, you know, we also wanted a side that could come up here and win. And um, we made that quite clear, you know, that, that we wanted to get that success. And again, just as important, I think, the next six months and giving people opportunities and testing them against strong opposition can only bode well for, you know, putting a a really good quality side together to give you know the November window a really good shake again. So, so what is the plan for, from here ahead of November? Because you've obviously got six months in the intervening time. Yeah, I'll be um, I'll be back up with New Zealand football over the next sort of uh, couple of weeks and, and sit down and just sort of iron out. I mean, there's windows in August, windows in September, and windows in November and uh, October. Fun that, uh, that we can access. The June window is difficult because of the back end of the season and we kind of feel that it'd be better for players to recover properly and fully this time through. So there are some pretty good opportunities in, in matching up now against you know what place in the world is best to go to um, and how we approach that and, and hopefully have something in one of those windows. I'd suggest probably September um, or October that we really replicate going into CONCACAF and playing a team in there and then travelling home to play another side at home. And how close an eye are you keeping on that CONCACAF pool? Once the next window hits, I'll probably personally go up and watch a couple of those teams that we feel are you know, more than likely going to fall into the category of, of that fourth position um, so we can you know, just get our research and homework done pretty well. Do they generally play a similar style of, or have a similar style of play, all the teams in that group, or how different are they and what might that pose for you come November? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say remotely different, Stephen. I think just a little bit, you know, you've got a Mexico team on their day can be as good as anybody in the world. Um, so I think, you know, just that fluency, technical ability, they pass the ball really well all the sides. Um, it's even a team like Jamaica, who New Zealand got a little bit of a taste of when they when they played us not so long ago. But, you know, good passing team, extremely quick, you know, athletically very, very strong and, so probably small different traits across the board, but you know I think an incredibly difficult opponent, whoever it is away from home. I think it'll be very tough, um, and you know we're going to have our back our sort of resilience as we did against Bahrain to to go and, and and do well and bring a good result home. When you look over this sort of qualifying period that you've been through, obviously you'd be satisfied you've come through it un- unbeaten. But what else pleased you about it, and maybe what areas do you still now look to? to work on? I think if we just we, we just keep the, the openness there, Stephen, I think it's great. You know, we only got five from six last time. We brought a development team up and got beat 2-0 from Fiji. So, you know, I guess there's a, there's a 
there's a small change there that we've finished uh, in, in a far better, stronger way. Um, uh, for me now, it's just keeping a very open approach on, on what that squad's going to look like in November. And we've spread that message pretty wide. Who else is out there? We didn't have a Winston Reid or a Tommy Smith leading into um, the Bahrain games, um, but we managed to find them. Um, and who knows who's out there that could come to strengthen the side. So quite, quite, quite a big search, I believe. You know, I've got people onto that already. Um, and if we can prove the depth and quality of the squad, then great. Have you got on to one or two players that might have New Zealand links that you can call upon? They'll be out there, that's for sure. You know, and I think, um, you know, to be signalled through like 180 minutes now away from the potential of another World Cup might just sort of flag up other people. So I'd be very surprised even if there's not one, if not two, out there that um, may come on the radar, hopefully sooner rather than later. Well, have you got a couple in mind? Well, there's a boy who plays at Western Sydney. I mean, he's played a little bit at um, Kubi. He's, um, he was born in New Zealand, so there's an opportunity there. Um, I've, I've personally spoken to him when I was at the Phoenix. And, um, you know, he's, he understands that, that there is availability or, or, or the potential to play. Um, he was concentrating very strongly on his West Sydney season, which I fully understand. Um, but, you know, given the success that the team's had, that, you know, this may raise another flag for him. But, you know, we can go back to him at the appropriate time. And, you know, they've had a summer season and, and finals to go through. So once the dust settles here, then, uh, you know, he is he is one that, you know, potentially could. I wouldn't guarantee it, but, but he may have an interest to do it. Which areas do you think are going to be key to working on ahead of that November qualifier, Ricky, that maybe you want to see some improvement in? Probably in the middle of the park, you know. I think if we could, if we could find um, or, work, or work on some players there, just a little bit better retention of the ball. Um, I mean, a Simon Elliott type player. I mean, Simon was great for the side and looked after the ball well. His distribution was great, and you know, an extremely good career for the national team. So that, you know, I think at the front end of the pitch now, we've got a variety of different players, which is good that have come through. Um, that we can use and maximise. And I think defensively, we're, we're, we're pretty solid, especially with Durante coming in as well. So, um, yeah, probably that middle of midfield would um, would help if, if there are a couple out there. Ricky Herbert. The former Silver Ferns coach, Ruth Aiken, returned to top-level coaching. Hasn't been a winning one, with her mystic side losing 60-46 to the Melbourne Vixens in their opening Trans-Tasman netball clash. Aiken, who ended a decade-long reign as national coach after the 2011 World Champs, has taken on the Mystics' role for one year after incumbent Debbie Fuller stood down. Stephen Hewson spoke to Ruth Aiken about her return and asked her how she was adjusting to being back coaching again at the top level. It has been an adjustment because um, coming into an environment where um, you know you don't actually have your players in camp the whole time, their their lives are um, you know quite an impact, and so the the sort of the wider I suppose the wider coaching environment is much more complicated than in the national program. So it has been an adjustment from that um, that point of view, and of course we had a few hiccups in our uh, in our pre-season in terms of pregnancy and injury. So um, yes, there's been a lot of things to work through, but very enjoyable all the same. You, you've got a few challenges there, haven't you? You like you, you mentioned, yeah. there's been a few players you've, you've lost for one reason or another. Yeah, and and with both of them being in that defence end, um, Charlotte Kite um, through an Achilles injury and Anna Harrison through pregnancy, um, you know we we sort of lost half of our defensive um, yeah defensive cohort in one in one fell swoop. So that you know that. 
that has been um, quite challenging to replace, especially given the fact that all the players are then contracted at this stage. So, um, you know, there's, yes, there's, it's pretty thin on the ground in terms of um, options. How much is that going to, to set your, your title hopes back? And, and how many weeks, yeah. maybe, does it put you behind the other yeah, look, franchises? I, I probably feel we're about a month behind, um, but we've um, been catching up. We've been doing our absolute best to catch up in the last few weeks, and, and it, I'd have to say that the, the thing that um, has worked in our favour, it has really um, driven these girls in the in the last couple of weeks to try and make as much progress as we can because we, you know, we are aware that, that we were behind. How different is it dealing with this group as opposed to the, the Silver Ferns level? How What adjustments yes. do you have to make there when it comes to trying to, to get the players to work the way you might want them to? I, I think the biggest challenge really is that we've um, had a wider squad this year and for some reason or other, the sort of the, um, I suppose, the 20 to 23-year-old um, uh, talent pool in Auckland has been quite thin. So we've actually got what I consider really are, are a number of um, babies in the um, in the in the back uh, in the back bench, and so the. Diff- the, the range, I suppose, from um, we've got three girls that are just out of school and right through to experienced silver ferns, that um, yeah, that range is not obviously evident in the silver ferns at all. So trying to um, develop the talent in Auckland at the same time as put a team together, um, yeah, has been one of the challenges. But it's, it's an exciting one because I think in the end it's going to be great for Auckland netball um, in the Auckland zone that these girls have been exposed to it. But as you can imagine, there's a, there's a big learning curve. What do you have to do as a coach then to, to cope with that to, and to integrate that, yeah. those differences? There's a lot about, you know, probably from a teaching point of view, it's called differentiated learning. So it is about having um, groups working on things to begin with, but then also um, ensuring that the senior players really mix in and help those um, young ones get a, get a handle on on the bread and butter of what's expected in a franchise team. And I'd have to say that the, um, you know, our senior players have been just wonderful in terms of including them, but also now pushing them. So that for the first few weeks, it was just about making an adjustment, but now the um, yeah the, the acid is being put on them to, to actually perform out on court. How tough was it for you letting go of the Silver Ferns? Oh, that was very hard because, um, as you can imagine, I mean, they're an amazing group and uh, 10 years um, I'd been with them, so it, it sort of felt like a lifetime, really. Um, but uh, it was certainly the right time for me and for, and for the team and, and I think my mother was doing a fantastic job with them and she will do in the next um, few years. Um, so, uh, but, you know, they yeah, you give your heart and soul as a coach and you do feel very much um, part of of things so yeah it was hard but I'm I'm over it now I think. (laughs) How long did it take you to get over it and and the Uh, withdrawal symptoms were were they what you might have anticipated or were they Uh, different? You know they they were much more um, profound I suppose than I had expected Um, and it was it was sort of it was like a minor grief really um, because it was or just that sense of loss um, and that something was missing in my life. 
it sounds pathetic, but it um, you know that's that is just how how it felt. Um, probably um, took a good six to eight months, I suppose. It was very interesting uh, watching the the first few games with the Silver Ferns without me. Um, I was much better watching them from home in um, the privacy of my own lounge rather than um, when I was actually live. I found that really. Um, really odd um but um yes i have gone past that now i've built a bridge and the chance to get back coaching it must have been nice it was it was nice because it is um you know while as a coach you wonder at times why on earth you're putting yourself through this um the opportunity to work really closely with a group of players who are all committed to the same goal is um is really special and um, yes, you know it has its highs and lows, but it is it, you don't get many opportunities like this. Um, of course, the ANZ Championship was not around when I was um, back coaching in the in the regions. Um, it wasn't a minor form, but the whole Trans Tasman. So it's a massive challenge, and um, you know I, I feel very blessed that I've just had this this one brief opportunity really to to help. Um, contribute to Auckland netball and to work with these players. So, How do you um, think you're going to adapt to that? I mean, that this to the week-in, week-out mm, thing, because that's obviously yeah, very different for, for you as well, like, because you only is. have the Silver Ferns in camp for a short time, that's and even right. if you went to the Com Games or anything, it, yes. it's not quite the what this competition no, is. No, exactly. It's pressure cooker, whereas this is probably slow cooker, I suppose. Is, um, I think, you know, from talking to other franchise coaches, the how you work your week is really important because it is really hard to just stay up for you know 13 weeks or so you have to build in some balance into your life which is always a challenge for coaches um, but it's um, it is really making sure that you use the other people and and either your coaching staff or your analysis staff to, to help out with the workload too so so for me I suppose one of the the things that I'm am looking at is how do we change things up over a period of three months with them because um, you just can't do same old same old um, week in week out so that is a bit of a challenge um, yes and I'm not quite sure how we're doing it yet it sounds as though you're going to be coaching forever in one form or, or another <laughs> you, 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 it's just in your blood yeah I, th- I think it is and I, I think that it it did make me realise when I stopped with the ferns that actually yes the the coach and me had not um, completely stopped so um, you know at the end of this contract I'm off to Singapore for two years with the national team there um, which will be another different challenge but um, um, and certainly we're ranked 19th so there is in the world so there's um, there will be Yes, it'd be a bit different, but I I do really enjoy seeing players and groups of players develop the best they can be. So um, that that happens across any level of coaching. Ruth Aiken talking to Stephen Hewson. Thanks, Stephen. Busy week for you. That's the show for this week. I'm Barry Guy. Extra time. We'll be back with a new program next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.